Episode 36, The Beginning of the Age of Exploration. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and examine how those events shaped our modern world. Polo! Yes, in this episode, I'm starting with Marco Polo. There's not a lot of people who I've looked at over the course of this podcast where I say, man, I would have liked to have had his life. But Marco Polo is someone whose life sounds pretty awesome. Not free of hardship, but whose life is. Anyway, his life was pretty epic. Plus, he seems like a pretty good guy, despite being hard to find in a pool. So we're going to take a look at Marco Polo in a second. But part of the reason that I'm mentioning him is that he is part of the process of Europe waking up from the Dark Ages and beginning to interact more with the rest of the world. Part of the issue with the Dark Ages was that Europe was just struggling to survive. And in the late 1200s, Europe began to pull out of that struggle and began to sort of thrive again. I should mention that there were still several very brutal episodes of the plague to come, and those would again devastate the population of much of Europe. But despite that, Europe as a whole began to move upward, move out of the Dark Ages, and move towards the Renaissance. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next episode. We're still not there. Not yet. Marco Polo was not the first or only European to explore the Far East. But the book he wrote about his travels, which was called Il Milione, which means the million, became very popular in Europe and inspired both cartographers, that is, map makers, and it inspired other explorers as well. More on that in a minute. Marco was one of those people that just happened to fall into an epic life. He had a lot of hardship, we'll see that, but still, it was a pretty epic life, especially for the Middle Ages, when most people never got out of the region or even the town that they were born in. Marco was born about 1254, most likely in Venice, though the details of his childhood are kind of sketchy. Apparently, right about the time that Marco was born, his father, Niccolo, and his uncle, Maffeo, left Venice to travel to the Far East as merchants. They didn't return for 15 years. On their journeys, they got to the summer residence of Kublai Khan. We mentioned him last episode, right? The emperor of the Mongol Empire. And, at the time, the most powerful man in the entire world. Apparently, and this is kind of crazy, they actually met Kublai Khan, and he requested that they take a message back to the Pope, asking for him to send Kublai 100 men vested in the seven arts. Those arts happen to be grammar, logic, rhetoric, arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music. Kublai Khan also asked for some of the sanctified oil from the lamps of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. This is the church that's built over the supposed spot where Jesus was crucified. And he also asked for some nice shrubberies. So Maffeo and Niccolo headed back to Venice with their requests from Kublai Khan. When they got back, Marco's mom had died. We don't know when she died or who Marco was with during that time, but once his dad and uncle returned, Marco went to live with them. The Pope had also recently died himself. And so the Polos stayed in Venice for a while to hear who the new Pope was. 
They were hoping that it would be a family friend that would be elected pope, but the papal election process was taking forever at that time. So they waited two full years for the news about the pope, and they finally decided it was taking too long. So they set out back to the Far East, going to fulfill their obligations to Kublai Khan, and they took 17-year-old Marco with them. While they were traveling, though, they heard that the new pope had finally been elected, and so it turned out that it was their family friend, a guy named Teobaldo, who had been elected pope, and he was now Pope Gregory X. So the Polos diverted their trip, and they took a side trip down to Acre, which is in the Holy Land. We talked about Acre in the Crusader episodes. And they met a a papal legate from the new pope who delivered to them letters that they could then take on to Kublai Khan. Somewhere in this side trip, they also got a hold of some of the oil from the sacred lamps in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. So now they were set, and they headed off to the Far East. It's hard to imagine nowadays what a monumental journey this was. For comparison, imagine that you live in L.A., and you decide, hey, let's just walk to New York City. It's that kind of a journey. It's a journey that's not measured in miles. It's measured in years. It takes years to get there, at least it did back in the Middle Ages. I get kind of stressed out thinking about packing all the stuff I need for a weekend in Waco, and that's a leisurely three-hour car ride away. Imagine the Polos trying to plan to go all the way to see Kublai Khan. Anyway, the Polos were on their way. Starting from Acre, they headed to Baghdad, and then up to the Caspian Sea, and then down across Persia to the port city of Hormuz, which is on the very southern side of Persia. When they were there, they decided not to get in a ship because all the ships were not seaworthy, so they decided to go by land instead. They set out across the desert and got to the edge of what is now Afghanistan. There, they caught up with the Silk Road, and they followed it across the mountains into China. At one point, they were apparently attacked by bandits, in a sandstorm, but they managed to fight their way out. Eventually, they got all the way to Shengdu, to the court of Kublai Khan, in about 1275, three years after they had left Venice. Marco was now about 21 years old. The Polos presented their letters from the Pope and the sacred oil from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre to Kublai Khan, who was apparently quite pleased with them. Kublai Khan took a liking to young Marco, who was apparently very good at telling stories, which pleased the Khan. Apparently, the Khan hired Marco as a sort of ambassador and sent him all over the Mongol Empire. He was sent to the south part and to the east parts of China. He was sent to Burma. He was sent around the Mongol Empire. The Polos stayed in the Mongol Empire for 16 or 17 years, but they could see that Kublai Khan was getting old, so they asked permission to return to Venice. Kublai sent them to accompany a Mongol princess who was to be wed to a sultan in Persia. So they set sail with about 600 other people on 14 ships, sailing from the Chinese port of Quanzhou. They stopped in Vietnam, Singapore, Sumatra, Sri Lanka, and then they finally got back to Hormuz. Of the 600 who had left China, only 18 remained when they got to Hormuz, including all three polos and the princess. But the sultan they were bringing her to was actually dead, so they handed her over to his son. 
it would be super interesting to me to find out if this was all a better deal for the princess or not. Anyway, after dropping off the princess, the Polos headed back to Venice, arriving in about 1295 after being gone for 24 years. Apparently, they had traveled about 15,000 miles. The next year, however, before they could settle back into Venice, Marco was captured on a ship because Venice was at war with Genoa and his ship was captured by the Genoese. Marco spent the next four years in a Genoese jail, but while he was there, he dictated the story of his travels to a fellow inmate, a guy named Rusticello. The book was released as a handwritten manuscript, even before Marco was released from prison, and it soon began to be widely copied and spread all over Europe. People in Europe were fascinated by the story, and it became one of the most widely circulated manuscripts of the time. In a way, it was the first European bestseller. Europeans were amazed by the stories of the wealth and civilization of China, and inspired the book inspired many explorers and merchants to try to emulate Marco Polo's journey. After his release from prison, he moved back to Venice, where he got married, and he had three daughters, and he lived relatively peacefully until his death in 1324. As I said earlier, Polo's travels and writings inspired several European cartographers, that is, mapmakers, and also some explorers. One of the earliest comprehensive maps of the world is known as the Fra Mauro map. I have a picture of it on the website. And it was apparently partly based on a map that was brought home by Marco Polo. The Fra Mauro map is interesting in that it has the south at the top of the picture, and all over the map it has annotations about the various places it shows. It's also remarkably accurate, especially in some areas like around the Mediterranean. There's another map, part of a group of maps that were signed by Polo's daughters, that even contained a detailed description of the coastline of Kamchatka in far eastern Russia, and even included in the map part of the coastline of Alaska. Now, this was well before the New World was discovered by the rest of Europe, although it was admittedly later than the Vikings who had discovered it. They had already found Newfoundland 200 and some odd years before this. In addition to inspiring the map makers, though, Polo's journey inspired some other explorers. Apparently, Christopher Columbus himself had a copy of Polo's book with him on his own travels, and it was the China of Marco Polo's descriptions that Columbus was seeking. We'll come back to Columbus in a few episodes, but it bears noting here that Marco Polo's journeys helped ignite both the age of exploration and the European Renaissance. Now, to be honest, I think both of those things would have happened anyway, because the conditions in Europe were growing ripe for a change. Europe was growing peaceful and prosperous again, and it was trading substantially with the Middle East, the Far East, and Northern Africa. Prosperity leads to more prosperity, and people taking on risky enterprises like, hey, let's sail around Africa and see if we can get all the way to India, or hey, let's sail west and see if we can get to China that way. You've got to have some decent prosperity and some money to burn to risk those kind of ventures. So prosperity and stability are about to bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages are about to give way to one of the most golden of the golden eras, the Renaissance. The Renaissance leads to the Reformation. 
The Reformation leads to the Enlightenment, and the Enlightenment leads to the American Revolution. That's kind of the direction of this podcast, in fact. In fairness, we should also say that the Enlightenment also leads to the French Revolution, which didn't go quite as well, and one could also say that the Enlightenment leads to modernism, which leads to postmodernism, which leads us to television, the internet, and the Kardashians. Eventually, I hope to cover all of that too, except maybe the Kardashians. But next episode, we'll look at the beginning of the Renaissance, and we'll answer the question, was the Mona Lisa the first Kardashian? Mm-hmm.